If you've ever loved an addict, you may have reached an exhausted, painful point where you felt broken and were struggling to just keep it all together. I am Kim Moore, and this is Smiling Again, where in each episode we remind you that you are not alone. Together, one thing at a time, we will take small steps to introduce little changes into your life to help you let go, break free of guilt, and live with self-compassion so that you can feel good on the inside and start smiling again. Welcome to another edition of Smiling Again. Today, I have with me a special guest, Jake LeClaire, and together he and I are going to be talking about how families can recover. Um, so Jake is the founder of the Emerge Center for Addiction Recovery, and he spent years searching for solutions, anything that he could think of, really. And he's, he went to treatment programs, talked with psychiatrists, tried couples counseling, attended 12-step step programs. But no matter what direction he went through, every time he felt failed by the very people who were supposed to be helping him. But now the Emerge Center for Addiction Recovery, it's the result of Jake's own decades-long battle with substance abuse and eventual journey that from dope to hope. So I'm really happy that Jake is here, uh, willing to speak with us and to speak openly. Thank you so much, Jake, for joining us today. Howdy, Kim. It's so great to see you. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share some of my story and to spread some hope today. You know, if, if there's one thing I suffer from today, it's perpetual hope. And it's just really become my purpose to put that out in the world wherever I can. Uh, and that's why you're here, Jake, that when we first spoke, that came across so loud and clear, which is why I really wanted you here to chat with us today. And the topic of how families can recover is very, very dear to me, our, our family, but personally, my family has been through a lot and to put out that hope to other families that they can recover is such an important message. Mm -hmm. So thank you. And could we start, would you mind sharing a little bit of your story? So people understand a little bit more about, about your journey. Of course. Yeah. Uh, today I have a life totally beyond my wildest dreams and it absolutely has not always been that way. I come from the school of the hard knocks. And what I know since I was a little boy and things were really off in our family system that was impacted by the effect of intergenerational addiction and trauma, everything that comes with it, is I had this feeling like there had to be something better, a better way. Uh, there had to be a solution to the pain that I was experiencing back then. And what happened was I actually found myself in my own 10-year struggle with substances like cocaine and alcohol. And during those 10 years, it absolutely had me right by the canines. I was hooked. Uh, and then eventually, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones. I, I made it out um, and I, I did find a solution. One of the things I found in finding a solution uh, was that I had to be an active participant 
in my own recovery through taking committed action. Uh, and certainly, you know, the problem was with those kind of substances in my body that I really, you know, wasn't at all capable of locating options that would work for me. So yeah, today I'm able to feel consistent hope, joy, peace, so importantly to me now, peace. And the truth is what I found at the, at the deep center of my own journey is that codependency was the main problem I've been facing all along. And so today my truth is that I'm on a path for long-term recovery from very complex, very subtle impact of codependency and the trauma that's caused in my life. Hmm. Well, thank you, Jake. Thank you. So if we can go a little bit deeper into that, um, you know, the whole, the whole topic of, you know, families recovering and the answer really being a healthier love. So can we start there with, um, you know, first by defining what is a healthier love and, and, and what do, what do we mean by that? Mm. Well, I start by saying I a hundred percent honor each person's individual model of the world. Uh, and so I'm not here to tell anyone what, what their version of healthier love should be. In fact, I, I'm interested in uncovering what your current model of healthier love is with you as an individual, uh, because I know that actually as humans, each one of us is doing the most we can with what we have at any given time. And, and hands down, it comes down to like, until we know more about how to do better, we're just doing the most we can. But I would give you an example, okay? Healthier love. Healthier love is one step in a more resourceful direction toward more loving relationships than you have today. And an example I can think of in my relationship with my mom, Kim, is you know, when my dad passed 20 years ago, what happened was for the first time after he passed, she just started saying to me every time we had a conversation, I love you at the end. And that's something she hadn't done before. And, and in that action that she took, I absolutely experienced healthier love, more connection with my mom. And certainly our journey of family recovery has expanded well past there. And uh, I, I just can put my finger that that's how our healthier love started. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And if we explore honesty, because mm. I think this is one thing um, I know in, in my own family, in our experience that there was a lot of silence and a lot of not being honest with the true situation of, of, of what was happening in our lives. There was a lot of denial, which uh, made honesty um, almost impossible to achieve. Mm. How much do you think honesty is a part of, you know, a healthier form of love? I get it. Well, first of all, uh, it's uh, almost impossible to be highly honest and highly caught up in an addictive family system at the same time. High honesty and addiction can't really hang out with each other. I do want to stop and say, though, because sometimes um, the term honesty can sting a bit. It could get a little moral for folks to receive 
because the opposite of honesty is dishonesty. But mm-hmm. I just wanted to invite folks into the possibility that this isn't a moral conversation. This isn't a lecture. And it's, it's just the idea of getting in touch with whatever is your truth a little bit more, just a little bit more at the moment. Um, and I think that begins with getting closer and more in touch with the truth about our own individual feelings. What, what are you feeling right now? And hmm, caught up in the chaos of an addictive family system, I can totally understand from my own experience and from the experience of the people I help that that's not very comfortable to get close to those feelings. They're quite chaotic. They're quite painful. And the other thing that's coming to me actually is see in codependency, we start to enmesh and we start to also overfeel other people's feelings. So not only do we have our own discomfort, but we start to become overly discomfort discomforted, there you go, uncomfortable with other people's feelings. And yeah, at the end of the day, so much of the addictive family system, it becomes focused on how to not feel when in fact, we honestly really do need to start feeling. Mm. I I don't think, you know, in in my experience, nobody talked about how they were feeling. Mm. You know, so, so you could sense emotions through reactions, but nobody talked about how they were feeling. So I can fully appreciate what you're saying and the importance of just acknowledging how you're feeling mm. and just being honest about that. I can see a couple examples. Uh, one, uh, for children in addictive family systems, they often uh, end up minimizing themselves, believing that there is no room for them to feel because the feelings of the chaos are so great uh, that if there's a hundred, we'll use kilograms since you're in the UK, if there's a hundred <laughs> kilograms of feelings to go around, but the parents are consuming 99 of them, then the children just don't even feel like they can access their fair share of feelings. So I, I can see how that impacts the family system. Uh, you know, I also remember with my own grandma, because our you know intergenerational system of codependency and addiction that came with it included you know, she'd if I'd say I'd feel sad my grandma would say don't feel that way and I was getting trained at a very young age. I love her love her bless her soul uh, but that is the truth about what happened uh, and so I was being trained don't feel right mm-hmm. uh, and then yeah I mean how do children learn it's not through talk it's through action mm-hmm. and if parents aren't demonstrating how they feel and the practice of being in touch with their emotions and children aren't learning it. And the importance here in the U S we are experiencing a lot of progress with, with social, emotional stuff in the school system, children being at least invited into feeling. And at the same time, I come from upstate New York today. I live in Boise, Idaho over here in the States, but I come from upstate New York. Uh, and I think culturally it, it may be, you know, more like what I picture the UK with that stiff upper lip, right? The, the, the bias to not feel. And yeah, I can't think of anything more important than just being in touch with how I feel when it comes to this topic of honesty. Mm, absolutely. And, and there's definitely a lot of progress here in schools and, and um, teaching children about you know, the importance of expressing their feelings. So 
I, I think, um, you know, definitely it's come a long way from when I was a child. That's, mm. that's for certain. But as a parent, it's knowing how to, how to teach children when maybe you don't quite know yourself, how mm. to teach them the importance of these things. So I think that's, that's really, really important. Um, now, one of the other things that I think um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on is, you know, we're talking about families recovering what what role do family members play in in the recovery of the addict and the recovery of the family Mm -hmm. this is my jam okay this is where (laughs) i get goosebumps in our talk because i am so passionate about interrupting the cycle and what i have found is Humans, when they are in a healthier place, fundamentally have this innate desire for this connection. We're pack animals, right? If you, if you link us to the other mammals that whether we want to admit it or not, we're quite similar to, we're part of a group of mammals who are pack animals. And part of being in a healthy pack is a healthier connection. And that's quite simply how we tick. Uh, And what happens in addictive family systems is um, it starts to serve us better to be disconnected, isolated, not feeling. And then whether it's that we're taught experientially as young people and through our adulthood, or even it's in our genetics or epigenetics, this stuff gets passed down. And you know, my own story and my opinion of myself, like I've interrupted lifetimes of work. And like, quite frankly, like, what have I signed up for this task? Like to be the thing in my life that I'm so excited? Not really, like cognitively. I don't know who would be like, yes, please sign me up for that, right? And yet it's it's my life's purpose. And both the science is showing and my experience is showing that if one person in a family system has some commitment to interrupting the cycle, there's actually a lot we can do. Um, Most often in my world today, that shows up as a mother or a wife. And she's usually saying somebody in my life drinks too much alcohol or does too many drugs or is an alcoholic or even labeling an, an addict. Um, and there's a, a vernacular that's longstanding around uh, rock bottoms and having to want it and, uh, acceptance. And I think that narrative's changing. I think that narrative's changing because what we actually know is there's a whole bunch of actions, committed actions that mother or wife can take today to start interrupting the cycle. Mm. I have to pause there because um, it's quite an emotional point, (laughs) you know, committed actions to interrupt the cycle, Um, you know, for, for myself and many of our listeners, they've, they've lost a loved one. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of thoughts around, gosh, what actions didn't I take? And then beating yourself up about not doing certain things before or could have done more. What would you say to that mother who was feeling that she didn't do enough? What can she do today? Well, first of all, sorry for your loss. And I, I mentioned it earlier. 
I know that each human, whether it's the human who's lost someone, the human who's still consuming substances, the little child who's really overwhelmed, whoever they are, they're truly doing the most they can with what they have. And the uh, situation we face is that we, we use what we know at the time and do the best that we can with that. Uh, so what I would say is in the grief, in the passing, that it's also absolutely time to interrupt the cycle from that standpoint. And, and what I mean by that is once someone is passed, I would even say it's even more important to interrupt the cycle at that point. It's the perfect time to interrupt the cycle because that's the opportunity for processing and clearing and healing, not just for the mom or the wife, but for the children, for the children who are experiencing that and who have a lifetime um, ahead of them from there. Mm, Thank you, Jake. It sounds like um, you're describing my life there. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, looking back, I know I did the best that I could and now I'm doing all that I can committed. I mean, this is why I've set up Blossom and the Blossom community is one of those goals is to um, break the generational cycle and doing that through conversation and sharing conversations like this with others and speaking openly in front of my own own children. It's all to to break the cycles and introduce healthier ways of living. So if we sort of look back at the things that you've said here, you know, so families can recover. Um, Absolutely families can recover. And that's the biggest message of hope that we can convey. And it's through look, you know, looking, finding healthier ways of loving. Um, And you, you mentioned taking committed actions as being paramount to achieving that, Um, a whole lot of honesty about how you're feeling and having that desire for healthy connections. Those are the three things that I've I've, I've taken away to help me understand what, um, you know, healthier love means. And the whole outcome of this is being interrupting, interrupting the cycles, Mm -hmm. incredibly powerful. Which may sit uncomfortably for some people listening to this right now the the term interrupting the cycle may not feel great and so what I want to invite folks into is uh, just the self-compassion that change is actually really hard for the human being and the opportunity is to be super gentle and in all that discomfort pick out like one little thing one little thing that you can do with committed action. Hey, that is fantastic because truly change is not exactly what humans favor in our programming. Right? There's some things that just are human about us and, and resistance to change is certainly one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I noticed on the wall behind you, you have a picture of a horse there. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, when you talk about that one thing that can help us, you know, change for me, that one thing was starting running and it took an awfully long time for that to become enjoyable. If I'm totally honest, 
And now it's enjoyable and it's a catalyst for so much more healthier change for me. So what does the horse mean to you? How people understand um, the role that horses play in your life? I'd love to. They are the one thing. Other people are going to have their one thing. Yeah. Not horses for everybody. Mm-hmm. For me, when I was seven and my dad, even in his illness and his struggles, uh, presented me with the option or the opportunity to ride horses, I almost instantly fell in love with it. So I'm pretty much mad about horses. And if you look at my life story, what's happened though is when I've been around horses, to an extent, my life has always been on track when the relationship with the horses was present. And, and certainly I can connect the times when I was out without horses and the times when my life was way off track were exactly the same times. So what I know today is I it's a medicine. I need my horse medicine. And so I have a commitment to keep them in my life. Uh, in some areas of my work, I get to share them with other people through the budding field of equine therapy. Uh, And the truth is though, right? When I get out to the ranch four days a week and spend a few hours, that's my medicine. Mm, That's wonderful. And I thank you for sharing that. I do think it's important for everyone to to hear that, um, you know, everyone's healing journey is their own and Mm -hmm. they walk it at their own pace. And the things that they do and that they discover that help them is different. It's different for all of us. And, you know, maybe that's what makes it so tricky is it's no one set approach to take. Um, for you, it's horses. For me, it's running. For someone else, it might be art therapy or, or writing. It, there's so many different things um, that that can be incredibly helpful. So yeah, it's, uh, it's not as exciting to me to project my interest in horses onto someone else as it is actually to just peel back and find what someone's own absolute passion is whatever it is the feeling that I really get of of fulfillment is when that that person has that look in their eyes that they found something that will bring them healing and bliss Absolutely. And that sort of links into the honesty, being honest about your emotions, and then also being open and willing to peel, peel back those layers and to, to discover yourself and be truthful to yourself and um, discover, discover what you love. Um, That's definitely been a huge part, part of my journey is that, that self-discovery and, and self-love that's coming out of it. Uh, I feel you. The The thing I would say, Kim, is this doesn't happen overnight. It's, mm. it's what's one step now toward the direction you desire. And if anything, for anybody listening, if this sounds like way too much all at once, well, like that's because it has not always been this way. And it, it started with one committed action uh, in a direction uh, that I thought would be healthier and better for me. Fantastic. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful comment to, to end on is that one committed action, whatever it might be. Um, the other thing I'd like to do, Jake, before we say goodbye today is I always like to end with gratitude. What's something that you're 
grateful for today at this moment? Mm. Well, it showed up instantly. I'm living in a place, again, where there are four seasons. I have been in California for almost 20 years. And what I'm experiencing is uh, this connection that I'm so grateful for with this five, six, seven-year-old Jake who <laughs> just loved the autumns in upstate New York and the cooler temperatures and I'm loving that these four seasons here in Boise, Idaho are just letting me you know, find that little Jake again and, and feel all that joy that he felt uh, in, the, in the autumns as a young man, young boy. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Now, you mentioned earlier, so um, just for all of our listeners, that you, you talked about codependency. And I know um, I'll put in the show notes for the podcast that you have a free assessment tool for codependency. So if anyone's um, interested in taking that assessment and to learn more about codependency, um, that w- there will be links with the show notes to the podcast. I think um, I, first of all, really appreciate your support to do that. And I think my invitation is to complete that assessment. It's free it's customized to get individual results. Uh, and I think wherever you are, whether you're um, living with someone who is still struggling with substances, your uh, life includes someone who is trying to recover from substances, or unfortunately someone has passed because of their relationship with substances. Wherever you are on that spectrum, my invitation to you is to complete that free assessment. And I think there'll be a lot of valuable information that comes from it. So I appreciate the opportunity to put that in the show notes. Super. Well, we're grateful to have have the resource for people to refer to. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jake. And we'll leave everyone with that one point. The one thing to take away from this call is just take that one committed action. And if you take that one committed action, you're uh, definitely one step closer to smiling again. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. All the best. This has been Smiling Again, hosted by me, Kim Moore. Let's walk this journey together, one thing at a time, taking small steps, little actions every day, which can help you let go and start smiling again. Don't forget, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. See you next week. Thank you.